It sucks with the TV bees back again. You know what that means. I'm Ryan. I ain't lying. I'm Gina with the Tita. We tune in, can't get enough. So drink up and listen up, you bees. That's right. You heard correctly. It's us. We're back. The TVBs. I'm Ryan. And I'm Gina. And this is Season 2, Episode 8. And we are going to be talking about the Netflix series from 2018. The Haunting of Hill House. Which is perfect because it just became October, our favorite month. Want to know why it's our favorite month? Because it's officially spooky season. It's spooky season, it's time to get weird and just really like out of our mind crazy because we can. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about several ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. (laughs) (laughs) All three Gs. All three Gs, and you happen to encapsulate all three of them, G. (laughs) Thank you so much. Not only am I a ghost, but I'm a ghoul and a goblin. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a little while since our last episode, so thank you for your patience. We've both been working really hard on trying to make this episode perfect to line up with the first week of uh, being October, the month of Halloween. Um, Spooktober. I completely decorated my house for the occasion. It looks so cute, Ryan. Thank you. I have little haunted houses and little um, plaid pumpkins and... Glitter decorations everywhere of voodoo dolls, coffins, pumpkins. Ryan is literally sitting in front of a sign that says Wicked. So oh. he has very much prepared for this episode. Because <laughs> we do meet a lot of wicked entities in oh, the Hill gosh. House. but Which we'll get into. For those of you who don't uh, know about uh, The Haunting of Hill House, it's been out for about two years now Mm -hmm. uh, when Netflix released it, but Gina's going to go ahead and fill us in on the Wikipedia summary of the show. Thank you so much, Wikipedia. As all of our TVBs know, I am such a fact finder and love anytime I can read anything in print rather than Ryan and I's own conclusions of the show. So Wikipedia summary, The Haunting of Hill House is an American supernatural horror drama web television series. That's a mouthful. Created and directed by Mike Flanagan and produced by Amblin Television and Paramount Television for Netflix. It is loosely based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Shirley Jackson, which we'll get into later. The plot alternates between two timelines following five adult siblings whose paranormal experiences at Hill House continue to haunt them in the present day and flashbacks depicting events leading up to the eventful night in 1992 when the family fled from the mansion. Um, The ensemble cast features several different characters that we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. But um, also their adult counterparts of the sibling, of the siblings as well. Um, so basically, it follows two different, like the Wikipedia says, two different storylines of past and present. We follow these characters from when they're young to when they're adult age, and I can't wait to discuss because this is truly a good one. And I would say Ryan, like as a huge fan of Netflix, this is really like the first of its kind for Netflix to come out with a Netflix original series that is as gory, as 
scary in a sense, depending on what your scare factor is. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we'll get into well, like, like in a little bit, but Netflix like Netflix has had like a lot of uh, movies that were like based on like Stephen King novels that were like Netflix originals, but, but nothing but like this. Not like a series. I no. think you're right. Uh, well, like Stranger Things and whatnot, but that's more sci-fi to me than like a horror adaptation. This is like, yeah, true horror at its finest. And I feel like we're both very, very good at depicting what is considered a horror film and what is considered a horror series. What is considered scary in general? And I feel like after this show first came out, I like binge watched it within like the first week. So it has been some time since I've actually watched the show, but I just did a recap, so I'm very much caught up. And as um, for me, I just watched the series for the first time within the past, like, two, three weeks. Oh, my gosh. So you're, like, fresh off the boat. Yeah. Um, but, Ryan, there is, like, a... Is it a sequel? Or I just watched something today of... What so, is it? So, Shirley Jackson, she wrote the book... When did it say that she wrote the book? 1959. Jinx. Cheers. Cheers. And for all you uh, TVBs out there, hopefully you poured something strong and spooky to get through this um, episode. And if not, hopefully it's a really strong iced water. Yes. Very, <laughs> very iced and chilling. Chilling to the bones. Um, it's, it, it's not a direct uh, adaptation of the book. Uh I know that I believe Nicole Kidman starred in The Haunting, which was like in the late 90s, which is a direct adaptation of it. And I know that there was like an adaptation of this book, like in the 60s or 70s. What this Netflix series did was they took the same elements and the same house and revolved it around a story to make it include uh, the characters in the past mixed with the characters in the present while still paying homage to, like, the original um, uh, source of it. And for those of you who may not be familiar with it, if you've seen Scary uh, Scary Movie 2, that basic plot is The Haunting of Hill House, where individuals are brought to this house in order to experience the paranormal activity, whereas this series shows a family who lived at that house and how it affected them. And I feel like for many of you listeners that are like, you know what, I I think the whole haunted house theme is expired. I definitely don't feel that Mm-mm. watching this. This is like this bringing is a... forth a whole new fresh vision of what truly a haunted house means because it yeah. means so many different things to so many of the different characters and each viewer themselves. A lot of it reminds me, I feel like season one of American Horror Story Murder House oh was my God. largely inspired by this. As you know, that's my favorite season of American Horror yeah. Story. Oh. Nothing will ever beat that house. And but today, the day that we're recording happens to be, was it today or yesterday? The, uh, what, yesterday. Yesterday was the nine year anniversary of American Horror Stories. Well, cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to the hauntings all over. But this is the haunting of Hill House that we'll be discussing today. Uh, speaking of cheersing, 
uh, in true TVB's fashion, we are going to have a drink. This drink here is the Soul Searcher, and I know that I've been playing hard to get you know, for the past <laughs> season and three quarters, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. It's uh, fill a glass up with ice, then fill it up with half vodka, half orange creamsicle soda, so like an orange cream soda, and then top it off with limoncello, because I feel like it is homey, but it is also very refreshing, just like this show was to me. Oh, okay. Even though we've seen ghost stories, haunted house stories, this was a very refreshing take on it for me. And if this is your first episode that you're listening to, I'm going to fill you in. I've written this box, and I'm rattling it right now, and it has six different buzzwords in it. Gina is going to pick one piece of paper out of the box, and that word is going to be our buzzword. Whenever we say this word, whether it's intentional or just because it comes up in conversation, we want you to have a drink of whatever you're having, and we will do the same. So, without okay. further ado, oh my God. drum roll, please. The buzzword of our episode is neck. Neck. Which we can't wait to get into mm-hmm. in a little bit of time from now. But just remember, every time we say the word neck, you take a sip of whatever chilling drink is in your hand. And hopefully, it is a soul searcher. Hmm. Because uh, my soul needs some searching in this <laughs> pandemic. So cheers to that, Rye. Cheers to that. Because we've been all at our necks worth. What's and? it called? Necks. No. We've been up to our neck. Up to our neck in the BS of, you know, things that we need to change, adapt to, really just like trucking along. Yeah. And I think we're kind of reaching that point of we're six, seven months into this pandemic. And it's like, okay, is this the new normal? Or are we going to somehow ever go back to, I don't know, what we were before? We'll be in a topsy-turvy world of being stuck in Hill House. Oh, my gosh. I really hope I'm never stuck there. (laughs) But at the same time. I would like to visit, but not be stuck. But I feel like if you visit, you're stuck. Yeah. And we'll get into that later, too. <laughs> um, so, Gina came up with something at the beginning of this season that I thought was brilliant, which is three words best to describe each show. So, for me, for The Haunting of Hill House, uh, I've already said one. It's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. Yes. Especially in the first episode, because you deal with the five siblings as they're older and younger, and I had no clue who was who until, like, the second episode. I will attest to that, um, just really quickly. It, in the manner of confusing, um, I do think this is definitely a show that you cannot scroll on your phone. No, it's not a background show. It's basically as though you're watching a show, um... That's in a different language at times. And you have to pay attention to like the language and what's going on. And these hidden Easter eggs we'll talk about in a little bit. But it is confusing. There's so many characters. It's not just like 
one brother and sister duo in a haunted house. It's yeah, it's a slew five, of characters. It's five siblings in 1992 and 2018. Yes. So it's very much going past, present, past, present, following these characters, learning about them, really just like embodying yourself like with what they've went through, what they're currently going through, but... You definitely can't scroll. So unfortunately, you've got to pay attention to this one. So confusing is a good one, Ryan. So refreshing, confusing. My third one, and I'm sorry that it's in the title, <laughs> but it really is haunting. Haunting in the fact that my walk-in, my walk-through closet there, I have to turn the light on now before I open the closet, and I make sure that I turn off the light after I close either door to the closet. Who do you think is in there? I don't know, the bent neck lady. <laughs> Cheers! <laughs> you guys don't know about her yet unless you're a fan of the show. Um, Ryan, I agree with every single adjective that you described for I this show. I hope so. <laughs> and I feel like you chose haunting because you might have thought that that would be a buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> um, quickly, I'll go through mine. Frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, frightening to me it means so many different things. Um, but when I... I'm a horror fan through and through. Um, horror films, horror anything that I'm spooked by, I am a fan of. Like, I feel as though, like, a writer of a true horror film or novel or show, it's hard to come by. Um, Sixth Sense was probably the last movie that, although it wasn't, like, you know, horror level, like, Richter scale 10, it was still like frightening enough for me to have a nightmare about the woman in the kitchen in the pink robe. It was, it's a subconscious type Mm -hmm. of fright. It's not, it's not relying on jump scares. It doesn't rely on um, gore. Yes. It it really is psychological, which is the scariest That's the scariest thing, or I guess the most frightening thing to me. And I am like the gore queen. Yes, for sure. I love gore shit. will be there in a second. But it doesn't frighten me. This type of shit frightens me. This type of shit really frightens me because in some weird way, and I think you're right, Ryan, because we can address this in a bit, but um, the subconscious, like, mind, the internal mind is really what scares you. No, let's address it now. Like, it's just like my walk-through closet. Yeah. You know, even there are, like, certain parts of me now that even though a shower was never even thought of, I love having my shower uh, curtain closed. I just love having, like, that full black curtain just Do you think here comes Johnny? Like, every time you open your shower? And then, like, sometimes I open it and it's like, Like, where's Jack Nicholson? (laughs) Is Poppy going to be right there ready to throw me off the landing? Yeah. And, but the best part is, like, that is so fun to me because that shit, well, it is scary or is frightening, Um, but at the same time, it's like really what you're thinking about internally. Like I'm not going to open the light. I'm I'm not going to go into my closet because I'm spooked. Like, like if the light burns out in my closet, I'm going to have to wait until daylight to change. And I'm not going to turn that flashlight on my phone on. No. (laughs) I'm not trying to see that bent neck lady. Oh shit. (laughs) Anyways. Um, so frightening was one. Um, my second is eerie. I feel like Eerie best describes this show because there are these, like, eerie undertones from start to finish, and it's, like, it happens 
not even when they're in the house. Like, this house, this story, what happened there, what happens there, it just, it lurks. It digested them. Yeah, it digested them, and it's it has them in the belly mm-hmm. of the beast in their normal everyday activity, which unfortunately is the downfall of one character, but like, I just... All of the characters in a all, sense. Yeah, all of them in a sense, but especially one of them. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like Eerie, like, if you can start and weave in that, like, sense of eeriness, if you will, throughout the entire season or the entire movie or novel of, of a horror depiction, then I think you've nailed it on the head. And I really think that The Haunting of Hill House did that. I think you've nailed that buzzword on the head. Eerie. Okay. The, yeah. And the last word is lurking. I just feel like there's this, like, lurking sense Ugh. of, like, the house Mm -hmm. because like I just mentioned with Eerie there's this undertone of the house wherever this family the characters of the family the brothers and sisters there's five of them like Ryan mentioned wherever they go and there's this lurking sense of anxiety stress um the past into the present um you know what's true what's not true what's reality what's not reality and I just think all of these characters continuously have to look over their shoulder because there's a sense of a lurkiness. Yeah. <laughs> and that can come from um, the bent neck lady, which, yeah. like, this is going to be a huge, like, thing that we discuss. But, like, this specific image and person and being and mantra. It's the biggest... Uh... That and the Red Room are the biggest shocks. Yes. So those two things, like, it's always lurking. And it's, like, you can never just wake up. Uh, if you were one of these, like, characters, you can never just wake up and live a normal day because something in your day is going to remind you of this moment in your past, um, which I think has lurked into the present. So frightening, eerie, lurking, those are my three. Haunting, confusing, refreshing. So those are six great descriptors and once we're back after this message from one of the most wonderful skincare companies that i've ever worked with and used i will see uh, your skin is beaming right now it's the restylane <laughs> it's the soul search <laughs> um once we're back we're going to uh give a lot of spoilers about the plot of the show and also discuss our highlights from the series so we will be back um, clutch your pearls to your neck. Here we come. Hey, TVBs. Gina here. Well, as you know, I have a lot of time on my hands right now, and the epitome of my quarantine can be summed up in one word, self-care. Today's active lifestyle deserves skincare that's up to the challenge. Enter Athea, formulated by active women for active women to give the best feeling skin you've ever experienced. And let me tell you, fellas out there, it's not just for women. I am feeling luxurious with these detox face masks. (laughs) I'm so excited to announce a new collaboration with the skincare line that's main objective is providing us with a feeling of finding beauty in our own skin. Visit atheaskin.com and use promo code ATHEATVBS15 at checkout for 15% off any product this month. That's A-T-H-I-A-T-V-B-S-15. Now, Ryan, pass me that face mask, and let's get buzzing. Here you go. 
Speaking of getting buzzed, you know what's getting me buzzed? The thought of talking about this show. (laughs) So, for those of you who aren't familiar with the plot, basically, the Hill House is a house that's been there for decades. I feel like since, like, the 1910s, the 1920s, and... The uh, Crane House moves in, which consists of the two parents and the children, mm-hmm. Steve, Cheryl, her real name is Shirley, Theo, and then the twins, Nell and Luke. Mm-hmm. They move in, and the parents are, uh, she is a drafter, so she... Does Olivia. All of the, Olivia does all of the architecture of the house. And the dad, I hate that I forget his name right now. Uh, his name is Hugh. 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 Uh, Hugh does all of, like, the building. And he's, like, basically the contractor. So they were assigned to come to this house temporarily. And make it something that isn't Mm -hmm. make it something that's modern something that's livable because it hasn't been lived in for a long time since they came and as or has it well uh there have been entities there i cannot say that they're living exactly so they move in and immediately uh shirley starts uh talking in her sleep again nell keeps seeing the bent neck lady. Oh. Cheers. Cheers. Luke sees certain things. And he sees certain things. It's the twin thing. Everything that, like, his, so his twin is Nell. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything that Nell experiences, I feel like it takes something out of him that he can't explain. Yeah. Like, he may not see the quote-unquote bent neck lady but he experiences some sort of, like, agony that Nell goes through. But he's also been tortured by, like, the Top Hat Man. The Top Hat Man, which, okay, reminds me kind of of, um, what is that movie? It starts with a B. Not Baba. The Babadook. Yes. yes. Doesn't it kind of remind you, like, the Top Hat? Yeah, like, the tall figure that's just, like, haunting a the little Slender boy. The Slender Man, really. Slender Man, too. Slender Man, Babadook, too great great movies by the way but I feel like it's yeah it's totally a twin thing where like anything that Nell goes through he somehow like experiences so like they move in and all of these five children they are so vulnerable because Mm -hmm. they're at the all in their age of innocence and they only have you know like one place to themselves like Shirley has her living room and uh, Theo has her dance studio, mm-hmm. and um, Luke has his treehouse. Even the mom, Olivia, has her, like, reading room, and those are, like, their own spaces. But then, like, they have to, like, share this whole mansion to themselves, which sounds tragic, but once you have to live it, you realize they're all succumbed by the house without Mm -hmm. even knowing it. So, like, in the first episode, we're introduced to the young children and the young parents, as well as, like, the elderly versions of 
every single person, which is roughly, what, uh, 15 years later. Yes. And uh, one thing that really stands out to me about the first episode is, even though it's very confusing, as I mentioned in our first segment, you start to realize the tricks that this house has to play on you because all of a sudden they realize all of the siblings wake up and they're like, Nell entered the red room and the red room is uncharted territory for the entire family because the red room, even though uh, Shirley and Nell found all of the master keys to it, Mm -hmm. they could not open it, but they see a figure walking underneath uh you know like the gap between the Mm -hmm. floor and the door they see feetsies moving yeah and steve is completely oblivious to everything but steve as an adult is a writer who writes about paranormal activity and even interviews somebody who's not even involved with the house who deals with her husband being dead and she she's being haunted by him hovering over her bed and whenever he opens his mouth she just hears a car horn and i believe he was killed in like a car crash yeah uh so like he's very like into paranormal but he's the only person who quote unquote has not been affected by the paranormal activity in the house he also had a vasectomy that's right so his um wife or girlfriend Wife, wife was prep well he didn't want to basically pass down the gene of i don't know what would you say it is insanity um anything susceptibility lurking, anything lurking from the house any residue yep. any hill house residue onto his firstborn child which i feel like if you didn't truly believe yet wrote horror novels that basically depict a lot of things that you probably experience. I think he believed that it happened. I don't think that he believed he ever saw anything unnatural. Yes. Um, But if you're going to go to the depths of like getting a vasectomy, then there's something truly within you that knows something happened. And maybe there's a blockage, like you said, like you just don't want to believe. So, like, within the next 10 minutes or so, we're going to tell you why they had to leave the house, but they did leave the house, and the first episode is all about Nell not doing well. Mm -hmm. She, you know, get, she's making all these frantic calls to her dad, who is practically estranged at this point, and to uh, Shirley, and I believe Steve as well, and... Uh, Steve Steve uh, declined the call, and that was, like, the big thing. Yes. And somebody's on the... Her dad is on the phone with her, and she's like, no, I'm at home. I'm about to go to bed. And as it turns out, she's actually at Hill House. Or she was on her way when she talked to her dad. Yes. She was driving in the car when she said that, and then she pulls up, and she's like, okay, bye. Yeah. And I think Steve, though, was the last call she had made before... Either she left the house, she's on her bed, 
I felt like she called him in a panic before she even left the house, and Steve declining it made her jump in the car. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel at this point we should go a little bit backwards. Basically, the house consumes you. What the red room is, is it is the stomach of the house, and... Olivia, the mother, being, like, the architect, talks about there being, like, a heart of the house in one of the scenes. And, you know, this is where we all join and love together. And the Red Room, even though nobody could enter it, it is the place that gets you into that state of solace where you're sitting in the room and it's whatever you want it to be. So, as I just said, you know... Uh, Nell and Cheryl, they couldn't get into the red room and they saw the footings under the door. Theo is the footings because she was in her dance room. That same room is Olivia's reading room. That same room is Steve's game room. It is uh, Shirley's living room. And the only way that you could notice that it is something that is so connected is, and I, I've rewatched it yeah. twice in the past th- two to three weeks that I first watched this, knowing to look at the ghost in the background, spoiler alert. Yeah. But also the window is the exact same and in the same I place. heard that, but there, um, I also heard, and I have not confirmed this, that each of those rooms you described, like the dance room, um, the playroom, the reading room, besides that, like, vertical window, there's also a red door of some sort, whether it's, like, in the uh, treehouse, like, there's a red, there's a red, like, door, quote-unquote, like, when he was, like, lifting up to get into the treehouse, um, so the window and the door is red in each of these, like, rooms that the characters, like, best, I don't know, aligned with. Yeah. And I have to go back to see that because I don't know if I truly believe that, but I think I would have to, like, confirm the door. It was, like, their personal solace Mm -hmm. is what the Red Room, because the house wanted to really get inside of them and really know what will pull them in. And the first episode... I did a great job of doing that. ...is, like... (laughs) uh, Nell just entered the Red Room and everybody is suddenly conscious of what the Red Room is. And Nell... Unfortunately, uh, she succumbs to the mental abilities that this house will do to somebody by pushing her off the same balcony that, spoiler alert, her mother also got pushed off of by one of the previous spirits in the house, a.k.a. the OG spirit, which is another connection did you know that Poppy's vanity is the same vanity that was given to uh, Olivia that was painted by Steve? And when hmm. she saw the twins overdosing and with a uh, injury that we'll discuss in a bit, yeah, uh, that's why she punched the mirror. Because hmm. somehow not only did Poppy infiltrate Olivia it infiltrated every single object that she oh, had received oh wow okay. mind blown right yeah 
And that's the thing, like, when you say confusing as one of your words, it's, like, it's confusing, but then if you do, like, a recap or if you do, like, an analysis of each episode or watch it basically two to three times after you do an analysis, you see these things and the things that you heard about, you're, like, let me dissect that further. And I never knew that, but, like, the things you find out of these Easter eggs that the director and writer of the show has kind of, like, laid out for us, it's astounding. Also, uh, you know how, like, Olivia used to always tell Theo that, you know, they're, like, basically one and the same? And yes. Like, so, uh, Olivia, her migraines weren't just migraines. There's a theory out there that whenever she got the migraine, she would be able to see into the future, such as, like, how she looked into the mirror. Theo... And that's why it hurts so bad. <laughs> yeah. Theo wears her gloves... For the same exact reason that Olivia tries to prevent her migraines, she because she feel can the hurt in feel her. the hurt and the future and see what's going to happen. And then another thing that I find very fascinating is that in the very first episode, we see that uh, Nell is being haunted by the bent neck lady. Cheers, and everyone, we're finally going to discuss this. So take it away, G. Tell us about the bent neck lady. So uh, a couple things about said bent neck lady and talking about Nell, who, uh, um, as Ryan had mentioned, is the youngest. She's uh, the youngest the, one well, of the twins. Uh, one of the twins. Um, so they are the youngest of the clan. And Nell, to me, represents just like in the beginning when you first are watching the show, you think, okay, she's the youngest, and I've seen this before with The Haunted House, with the youngest, like, daughter or son. But what happens with Nell, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, like, my interpretation, she basically takes on the entire house. Like, after, like, from the moments that she was, like, a young girl, like, she kind of was always um, looked over. Like, she was so young, so tiny, But there's, like, one scene where they can't find Nell and she appears. And it's, like, she had been missing for, like, an extremely long time. And the family, like, had not even, like, witnessed that she was gone. So I think in the very beginning, like, you kind of, like, associate her with, like, the forgotten one. Although, like, throughout the entire, like, show, she's kind of, like, the glue that holds the family together, even though they never looked at her like that when she was obviously a little girl. But she sees things as a little girl, just like her twin did. And the things that she sees are frightening. They're eerie. And they lurk her (laughs) throughout the entire show. But, like, the way that said bent neck lady lurks Nell is, like, a next level lurking. Like it follows this image of quite literally a bent neck lady, like follows now throughout like her entire, like not only childhood, but like as she becomes a young adult from and the time that she entered Hill house to her to demise. To, yeah. Till, till her lead literally laying in bed with her husband. And this is a huge, huge spoiler alert. I'm saying this now if you want to stop and, like, They've already been fast warned. forward. But first warning, you hauntings. Um, she's laying in bed with her husband, and she has this underlying fear that 
this bent neck lady, it's haunting her dreams, it's haunting in her in real life, and she feels like it's playing a part in her relationship with her husband, who they're so cute, and this is so I love so sad. I this love episode was couple. like next level, but like so emotional in so many different ways. But um, basically, the bent neck lady like breaks his neck, right? Like, is she? He apparently died of an aneurysm. But she saw the bent neck lady, and the way the neck bent in her husband was the exact way the neck was bent in mm-hmm. um, in her dreams and in reality, and the way her mother passed away, and the way, unfortunately, spoiler alert. Nell passes away, which Ryan also, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a minute, but the reason why Nell entered that house, there's several different reasons why. I think one of them, obviously, she wanted to A, end this, because how can you live a life when every single waking moment of the day and the night is based upon this image that you can't get out of your head. It's an image that affected her husband, that affected her mother, that... Uh, Has been haunting her her whole entire life. Her whole life. And so she wanted to confront it head on. None of her family, once again, was there for her, except possibly her dad, but it was very superficial, like, surface-level phone call. Um, So she was forgotten about, but she was going to conquer this, like head on literally <laughs> and yeah. and so like I said correct me if I'm wrong but when she spoiler alert jumped um from that same spot that her mother her did, mother got pushed from from Poppy who was the original occupant of the house yes wife who lost her children as well who made Olivia go crazy yes Olivia was drawing her children in uh one by one as much as she could to wake them up and Nell happened to well yeah Nell um she happened to she happened to uh, Olivia got a hold of her and pushed her off of that same exact balcony and then we find out but she, Nell thought that she was putting on that necklace that had Luke and her in it that Mm -hmm. Olivia always said, like, to calm Nell down, I'm going to tell her, like, one day you will get this necklace and inherit this necklace, blah, 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 this beautiful gold necklace that I feel like I wish I had, a necklace (laughs) like that that had, like, your picture in it, Um, but it was, like, a charm necklace with a photo of both, like, her and her twin brother, And she thought that her mother was finally gifting her this necklace when in reality it was a noose that she was putting on her own neck. And then Turns out the person that Nell had been uh, haunted by her whole life was actually herself because she had the same uh, future-telling abilities as her mother. So it's like, is it self? Theo had. Yeah. And Nell is the bent (laughs) neck. Cheers, lady. So now, like, a hundred percent, which is like, this is a mind blowing moment in the show because you're like, who is the bent neck lady? And when you finally figure out that, like, 
Nell, this sweet, cute, compassionate. She is adorable. She's adorable. And you watch her grow and you root for her. And she, like, finds the love of her life. And she's so excited. And to watch everything just come to a crumble because of her own, really, demise. Like, it's like she's carrying the, like, potion of of Hill House that's been brewing since 19-whatever. Yeah. And um, Ben Neck Lady, that's basically, like, kind of the premise. It's, like, this lurking... Well, it affects both her and Luke. Well, Luke, her twin, he has been severely affected by the house subconsciously. Mm -hmm. He doesn't realize that he's... He knows that he saw a ghost, such as the Top Hat Man as a child, but he doesn't realize how much he's been affected by it because he, he's a drug addict. He doesn't really have an understanding of the real world. And when we first meet him, he's actually waking up because, uh, from a deep sleep because he realizes that Nell entered the red room. And then we, we're, he's the last sibling that we meet in this show. He's also kind of one of my, like, lightweight favorites. Yeah, he's kind of hot. Oh, he looks like an Aaron Rodgers, like a football player. Um, I'll show you a picture right now. Yeah. He is just, like, a comeback story through and through, but mm-hmm. I think it was, well, you let me know how you think, too. Like, I really think that it was because of the love he and totally connection of He totally looks like his, Aaron Rodgers. Right? Uh, he's, he's probably the most sensitive of all of them. And so he uses drugs as a way to get out of it. And they talk about this thing in one of the episodes. And I believe the episode, yes, episode number four is entitled the twin thing. They could feel what each other is feeling because they're twins. Um, but not only that, but every single episode we're able to see, why the younger counterpart affects the older counterpart. Like, one of my favorite storylines during this season was uh, Theo. She is able to touch somebody barehanded and know what's going on with them. I heard Theo is the, well, the real actress is the wife of the director. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Either oh, that's girlfriend fun. at the time or current wife. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Oh, wow. Sorry, I just, like, thought about uh, this recap <laughs> I watched this morning, and I was like, what? Because so, I love Theo so much. <laughs> so Theo, she's probably, she is the coolest sibling. Uh, yes, definitely. Hundred like, percent. She's a lesbian. Super Not only raw is she and a lesbian, uncut. but she's just... She's into her feelings. She gets it. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's like the cool aunt. And one of the things that is really fascinating with her is, you know, she's the one with the gloves. She's the one who could touch somebody and know exactly what they're doing. But she's actually a... Uh, Psychologist? She's or... a social worker. Social worker, yeah, yeah. And there's this scene where this girl is haunted by the smiley-faced man. And she's like, well, where does your daughter hang out? Foster daughter hang mm-hmm. out. And they take her down to the basement. And she sees 
the smiley face on the uh, etchings of like the wood and she goes into this kind of trance similar to her mother Olivia would during like a, a migraine and she wakes up in a hurry and she goes upstairs and she deliberately wants to shake the hand of the foster dad and she realizes oh she realizes that the foster dad is smiley man and is actually molesting, molesting the foster child that she's you know counseling so and in a way they've like give, been given gifts that can either well help them or detriment exactly them. And then you have, like, the whole twin thing happening, and then you find out that Nell is the bent neck lady, and then you get into it deeper, and we already touched on the fact that uh, Steve writes about stories about what he thought he didn't know, but then you find out that he actually did see a ghost. Mm-hmm. He, he saw a ghost in the fact that there was somebody uh, tuning the clock, and there is something called uh, witness marks. Witness marks are something that you learn through doing uh, old school carpentry and clocketry. I'm not sure what clocketry is called, but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Where you realize everything that is done via the scars of the wood is how a clock is made. And he's like, no, Dad, somebody was here fixing the clock. And he's like, the clock didn't need to be fixed. The clock was the only thing that didn't need to be fixed. And he saw the clock worker. Yeah. And then you realize that in his own book, he actually saw it in chapter, I believe, 19. But he admits it. Right. He admits that he saw the clock worker and he ran up the stairs and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, in a sinister second, you realize that Steve actually did see a ghost just like everybody else, which leads me to the eldest, uh, the eldest sister, Shirley. Yes. Shirley now runs a funeral home, and a funeral home has a recurring theme throughout this entire season. Because... Embalming, like, I mean, funeral home through and through. Through and through. Swear to God, when I was, like, in 10th, 11th grade, I was Did you want that to be your job? I wanted to be a mortician. (laughs) I actually could see you in that career path. I think you would, like, thrive. I love gore. I can't deal with gore in the real life. Okay. I like it when it's behind a screen. I think I could do that job. I think I could literally pull out somebody's Let's apply, just like we applied for Virgin Airlines. Oh, yeah. Virgin Airlines, where are you, Schitt's Creek? Yeah, we're still waiting. (laughs) Is there a statute of limitations on our application? What's up? Uh, So, like... Every single character has, like, these callbacks, whether it's uh, Shirley being a funeral home detective, what's-his-name, Steve, being mm-hmm. a writer. writer about occult and paranormal activity, 
the two twins are basically immune mm-hmm. to it, but they're the most affected by it because they are the ones that the mom wanted to save. Mm-hmm. They wanted them to wake up. And Theo was able to see everything. Because she's a realist in the baddest bitch mm-hmm. in the industry. And she's the one that's <laughs> like the next step down from Olivia. Mm-hmm. But then you have the two twins, and none of them had lives to do with the uh, house. But they were both the first ones drawn back there because Olivia wanted her babies back. And that's why Poppy pushed Olivia down because she wanted everyone to wake up. And... Olivia wanted both of her two babies to come back because she wanted to also give them relief and quote-unquote wake them up, a.k.a. kill them. So, yeah, describe wake them up to me. Olivia was so consumed by her migraines that she thought that there was a way out of this. The way out of this was going to be waking up from this nightmare which was she was haunted was it real life like waking up from a nightmare that is reality or false reality she had these migraines but poppy the original crazy woman Mm -hmm. of the house was like you need to wake up all you need to do is wake up and everything will become clear and then Poppy helped Olivia jump to her death. Olivia thinks, oh, my babies just need to wake up. And in one of the most fucked up scenes of the entire series, Olivia brings them all into a room that we don't know what it is, but spoiler alert, it's the red room. She brings herself... Luke, Mel, and Abigail all into a room. For those of you guys who don't know who Abigail is. We need to discuss who Abigail is. Gina needs to tell you guys who Abigail is. So I put this in like one of my highlights because quite honestly, like I was very confused at first of who this blonde young girl who's the same age as basically like Luke and Nell um it is and okay so i have done some research and i've like watched this recap this morning kind of about abigail as well and so the dudleys who are their na- the neighbors to the cranes they're so caretakers the house, of the house they're caretakers but have had once lived there and mr dudley well he lost his wife which spoiler alert sorry but um, after the specific scene that Ryan is discussing, he loses a daughter as well. And so this Abigail character, in the very beginning, it's, it's hard and confusing to understand if Abigail is just a figment of Luke's imagination. Because as we mentioned, Luke and Nell both see certain things. They see, you know, like images of a bent neck lady drink. They also see, like, images of this, like, slender man and, like, this certain hat. 
And we think in the very beginning that Abigail, or at least I did, and Ryan can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, we just see Abigail hanging out with Luke. Like, she's like one of the guys, and they become like very close. And it's like, whose daughter is Abigail? Like, who is she? Why is she always around? Because these images of when Luke sees Abigail, it's like, far away in the forest and she's just it like there. It does seem like she's just like an entity that's like haunting the premises. Exactly. Like you never really hear like the neighbors or the Dudleys like express or the That husband. they have a daughter. Like I have a daughter. She's playing around. Like oh I think I hear her with Luke right now. But also they don't know she's playing around because they're like keeping her the she learned how to escape. She learned how to escape and, like, another... And she's, what, like, seven, eight at most? Probably, yeah, between seven and nine. Or a younger, even. Yeah. Um, but Mrs. Dudley, so the neighbor, like, when they lived there, she had such horrible nightmares about the house mm-hmm. that she had a miscarriage. Like, she was so frantic and crazy but um, fast forwarding. And they don't stay there at night. No, no, yeah. So that was another thing. And it's like, well, as shit. soon as the sun if I wasn't going to stay go in a haunted house at yeah. night, then what's the point? But um, <laughs> she had had a miscarriage, which was like a huge, huge reason why the wife previous, well, yeah, I guess that was previous to the cranes, right? Yeah. So previous to the cranes, why. They left, like, she, Mrs. Dudley, was feeling, like, anxious, worried, having nightmares that led to stress on her unborn child. And then once, you know, the miscarriage happened, they were like, nope, we'll, like, move next door. And so when Ryan was talking about this scene earlier, the craziest part of it is that Abigail is a member of the tea party that Olivia is throwing for her children, which she wants to keep young and... Basically, wake them up up, um, to join her on the other side, possibly. But Abigail, like, at this point, I still, Ryan, like, did not know if Abigail was real or not. Me either. I didn't know if, like, uh, Olivia, the mother, was seeing her because she was a ghost. And Luke and Nell could both, like, well, really, like, Luke, could play with her because she was just a figment of the house or, like, neighborhood or backyard or, like, story. And then, do you want to talk about the Olivia, what she does with the tea party? Or Well, during the tea party, she finally gains access to this red room. Mm-hmm. And she wants to have this tea party for, and this is the first time that we see the red room looking exactly as it is present. Mm-hmm. We have Abigail, Luke... Uh, Nell and Olivia at four corners of a table or four ends of a table and she's pouring rat poison into all of the cups and Abigail's the first to drink and Abigail drinks and then who's the one to come and save them? Is it the, the husband? Dad? It's the dad. And then the dad throws Olivia against the wall, gives her a contusion, and he saves Nell and Luke. And uh, next thing you know, like Olivia has like this concussion and she's like trying to chase after everybody who 
mind you, the very one of the very first scenes that we see in the first episode is uh, Steve over uh, Hugh's shoulders, and there's somebody trying to get into the room, and then we find out in like one of the last episodes that it's actually Olivia trying to get into the room, and it's not a ghost that they're trying to run from; it's from the possessed Olivia because she's possessed by the house Mm. and they run away from her and she's limping. She has like this contusion and she has, you know, she just has a lot of shit going on. She's very overwhelmed at this moment. (laughs) Very overwhelmed. But Mr. Dudley, like when Abigail dies was like to the crane family, like you have to keep this house. Well, yeah, because it's the only way that they're going to see Abigail, yeah. And one of the things that's really telling... So we thought she was dead, but she was alive, but then she was dead again. Yeah. (laughs) And then, like, in the very last episode, we find out that the Red Room only really manifests what people's ambitions for it are. So Mm. at one point, we see that it's Olivia's reading room. And then at the very end of her life, we see that it's the tea room. The The tea room room. for the tea party that Nell always had wanted. Yeah. And she's finally going to have that tea party, but... They really fucked her over. Can I just say? Nell, Nell, like... Team Nell, like, I'm sorry. You were so effed from the beginning. (laughs) And then we also realize at that moment that it's... uh, Stevie's game room, we realize that it's Luke's uh, tree, a tree house. house. We realize that it's uh, Shirley's living room. We realize that it is. We realize that it's everything that each character had that the other character did not get exposed to. I read too that. Besides, like, the Red Room, the house in general was seen as, like, a labyrinth. So mm-hmm. it was basically, like, one huge corn maze that all led back to, obviously, like, Ryan just mentioned, the Red Room. Because it manifested itself in each one of the characters and the family. But at the same time, it was all one central unit, which I guess... So basically... The it's a lot sto- to do with family. The story... Like, I know that we've given a lot of spoilers, however... The spoilers don't do not tell us. the whole <laughs> story, so it's something that you have to watch. If there are any highlights, if you were to give a top three, what are the top three highlights that you have to give? So we basically discussed these things in like you know the last like couple of minutes, but bent neck lady, cheers also because I haven't mentioned neck. cheersing. Her neck for, like, the last five times we mentioned it. But that neck lady, which we've already discussed, I think, like, the biggest moment for me was when Nell believed that she was finally obtaining something that she's always, always wanted, when in reality that was her own death. Um, so that's probably something to be discussed, or, like, if we were in a peer group <laughs> where we all break up into, like... Partners of two, but um, the Bent Neck Lady, clearly, that is the essence to me of the show. Um, so that's one of my highlights, basically, like, learning and finding out about Nell, and basically watching Nell throughout the entire show, and how she transforms um, 
from this lurking essence of a lady whose neck is bent. Well, also, <laughs> if I might add, she's yeah. kind of like the antithesis to her mother toward, like, the last episode. Mm-hmm. Because even though, like, Olivia's trying to draw Luke in, Nell is the one to draw him back and, like, keep him alive. She wanted to... Well, I think... She's like, it's a twin thing. You don't want this life. I think she wanted truly to be rid of it. Like, she wanted to sacrifice herself if that meant that her twin could not only be free, but could basically change his life for the better. Um, And this sounds so weird, but, like, by her death, like, maybe that would bring him life. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, Bent Neck Lady, we can't, like, not discuss that, which we already did. The power of family. So uh, I kind of wanted to go into really quickly, like, each character and how we discussed earlier, like, how they each, like, depict a different or the director wanted them to depict a different layer of the levels of grief. And this is something we just went over, but I think it's interesting to just go through the characters to be um, very in tune with what the director wanted us to see. So Stephen, we mentioned the book writer, Denial, Shirley, Anger, Theo, Bargaining. And I'm not quite sure, like, where I see bargaining, but you have to tell me. No, I see bargaining in the sense that she is, she bargains with herself. She takes off the glove and shakes the man's hand to see if he's... Like taking your mask off in real life now. (laughs) Like, she's like, I'm going to see what I want to Mm -hmm. see, but I know when I see it, it's real. Yes. Okay. I can see that. Because when I was, like, listening earlier to, like, my recap, I was like, I don't understand bargaining. But I think there just might be things I've missed. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Luke, depression. And Mm -hmm. Nell, acceptance. Yeah, Nell is the most accepted, which is... She was accepted... She accepted that she has to die. Yeah. Or has to give herself. Yeah. Especially when she and lost she, the love and, of her and life. And she doesn't realize until after her death that she's the one that's been uh, plaguing herself her mm-hmm. entire life. Which is scary to think that, like, when we're scared, like, the closet, we were talking about, like, is it us, like, our internal selves scaring ourselves? Like, or is there really something in there? For now, like, it was both. Like, Not only was she basically, like, internalizing, you know, what's going to happen, but she knew that this was what was going to happen, which is the craziest thing of all, because I feel like we don't want to go to the bathroom right now because there might be something in the mirror because we just discussed a game we were playing, like, the night before. But it's like, is there really someone there? Or is it just, like, a figment of our imagination that we're saying is there? Um, but for now, I truly believe that, like, it was both because it was, I think, and that was the premise and yeah. point of, like, the story itself, which is kind of confusing, too. But um, my last, besides, like, the power of family, because I think in the end, besides them all portraying something along the lines of what, like, the grieving process is, I think they all, as much as, like, 
growing up, they went different ways. They all had this one like beating heart of the red room or the house that brought them all together. And even though the house led them astray, um, brought on characteristics and feelings that they probably would never have felt if they never lived there, but it brought them together in the end because, well, spoiler alert, Luke was saved. They, and, and they had to go there. They had to go there. And they did see like a moment at the end where I think like it was very much like now acceptance of this is where we are, where we've been, where we've come and how we move forward and on. But um, without each of those heartbeats, that major heartbeat would never continue forward because the heartbeat of the house preyed on really like love and family and relationships and interconnections. The evil of the house fed on the love mm-hmm. that they could take away from each other. Because Do you think that's at why the it was end of the day, and Luke? Well, or? at the end of the day, they were all resentful mm-hmm. toward each other, except for the twins and the mom, yeah. because the mom, you know, those are all well. Besides Theo, Poppy done took the mom. Poppy done crazy. Um. But yeah, so Power Family, that's kind of was my next highlight. So Pen Neck Lady, Power Family. And last we just discussed Abigail. I feel like in shows like this, there's always like, is this a playmate? Is this like a ghost? Is this a friend? Um, but I really feel like Abigail played all of those things. Like the ghost, the goblin, and the ghoul. Like she definitely touched into like every G. Um, and then in that moment of when she's poisoned, you realize that, like, it isn't a figment of anyone's imagination. Like, she is real and she is a person. Um, and then you see said person again in the house as another key ghost that lurks the halls. And I don't know, like, it just was, like, very interesting to watch. Luke interact with this playmate um, because he was seeing so many other things in the house and so was Nell. You know, I really, really thought that Abigail was just... I thought she was... A ghost. But then I'm like, well, maybe she really, truly was a ghost all along and that's why everyone saw her and why Mr. Dudley saw her too. I just came up with a brilliant theory. What if just like how... uh... The bent neck lady was a future apparition to Nell. What if Abigail was a past apparition mm. to Luke? I mean, very much could be. Like, why would we be all questioning as viewers who Abigail is yeah. if there wasn't more to the story? But that also has to go for, like, the cinematography of the show. Like... Think about the direction and how everything is filmed. Like, well, that's we one of your highlights. Question right? everything. That is one of my highlights. Okay, tell me like what your views were of like how beautifully like directed and just overall produced this show was. Okay. If you guys have already watched it and have a minute to go to YouTube and watch the behind the scenes of the two storms episode of the haunting of Hill house. I have to say you guys are in for a treat. Not only was this set 
built brilliantly, but the masterminds behind this set also thought about episode six specifically. So, you start watching the episode, and it's called Two Storms. A storm is happening at Nell's viewing with just the family, and then you go back to 1992, and a storm is happening at the house. So, this two storms are happening. What happens in present day is you are not only saying goodbye to your little sister, you are saying goodbye to your youngest daughter, you are saying goodbye to Nell. And what Nell has become is a product of the house. So there is a part of her that's integrated even when it comes to the cinematography of everything. What happens is this episode, and it's one of the most brilliant episodes of anything that I've ever seen. Was it all one take or was like several? It was one take of five scenes. Oh my gosh. So, oh well, maybe four scenes. All four to five scenes were done in one take. So they built this set in order to, you know what? this uh, The cameraman is going to go from stories three to one and watch these two people go down the stairs, and then all of a sudden the chandelier is going to be on the floor, and then they're going to push it this way. The longest scene, and I think it's a record is 17 minutes long of a single take. And not only is it just one actor, you... Okay, say you're looking at angle zero out of uh, 360. Uh Uh-huh. You start filming now, you go this way, and now you're about 90 degrees, and it's the children, Mm -hmm. and then you see the parents for, like, the next 180 degrees and then the last 90 degrees it comes back to where it was before excuse my neighbors I think that they think it's the 4th of July right now but uh, when you meet the front all of a sudden the child actors aren't there and it's the adult actors and that is not cut and paste they literally did the cinematography about every single piece of the set around where each person is going to be, and they choreographed it specifically Mm. in the Two Storms episode. Um, It is one of the most brilliant pieces that I've ever watched in my entire life. There are four or five Olivias because... Olivia needs to be at the end of this corridor, and then she needs to be at this corridor two seconds later, and it is all done via the cameraman, mm-hmm. and it is... They had one, like, awesome team. Like, the fact yeah. they can, like, lift bodies from... They, they choreographed the, like, the technicalities behind it for, I think, four or five weeks before they added in the extras and the actors for it 
It's crazy. Um, another thing that really is a highlight for me are the hidden ghosts. There's a episode of uh, The Haunting of Hill House where they go down to the basement uh, after Luke was put down there in the, like, pulley. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of... <sighs> when you rewatch it, it looks like somebody is watching them the whole entire time. And then you rewatch it the whole series an entire time after reading an article about say like the hidden ghosts of Hill House and then you realize whether they're in a reflection whether they're in the forefront but blurred there is a ghost in almost every single scene yes and it's hard to like see that like post show because I learned that post show and so watching these like videos of like all of these easter eggs I'm like oh my god, like, this is amazing. When you watch, like, a montage of ghost number one at two minutes and 35 seconds, like, ghost number, you know, like, you're just like, wow. Like, I, that makes me want to rewatch the entire, like, show as a whole because I want to see all these things. Mm-hmm. But, like, rewatch it to learn more and and not only see more in a different way, but to see, like, this director and, like, these fun little, like, triages um to the show that he wanted us to kind of like play around with one of my favorite ones that i read from the article that i saw about the hidden ghost was that for a split second you see the bent neck lady in the back of the uh funeral parlor for nell's viewing interesting and also you know how she had like the buttons on her eyes uh they say, you know, because everything's all connected, just as the set for that episode, Olivia's the one that put the buttons there because she always collected the buttons for Nell. Hmm. Interesting. I, like, think about when I think about that funeral scene, um, when the sister is, like, prepping the body of Nell and then, like... <sighs> The uh, flies, or what is it that comes out of her mouth? That, uh, like, like the beetle, or like the cockroach. Which is what came out of the kitten's mouth when she yes. first got that kitten. And I'm those parallels are super interesting, and you knew that something obviously was going to happen in this moment. Like, we couldn't get through, bless you, we couldn't get through a moment of Nell's body being, like, taken to another place without something weird and creepy happening. Um, but the fact that, like, that parallel happened, I don't really know what that means. But I don't know if that was, like, something that had always haunted her or she was seeing something from her past that really wasn't there. It could be a combination. Yeah. But I just thought that was, like, super weird. Uh, the third highlight of the show for me has to be the rawness of the horror and suspense of it all because you don't expect anything nothing like 
I watched Signs for the first time in about 10 years last night. Oh my god. And I even though I had seen the movie, mind you, it had been about a decade since yeah. I would seen the movie, I was kind of like, alright, this is what's going to happen next, this is what's going to happen next, this is what's going to happen next. Watching The Haunting of Hill House, I expected nothing that was presented to me. And I feel like that is the key aspect to doing something that is spooky. I completely agree. And to, like, the signs, um, the movie, like... When we were able to watch movies, like, on a theater screen, um, back when we were in high school, I had a girlfriend that her and I, like, had smoked before. Like, this was, like, you know, back in the day where it was, like, cool to, like, be like, yeah, we're going to the movies. But in reality, it's like, no, we're smoking. And then going to see a movie. Yeah. Um, But anyways, like, I will never forget that she screamed in the movie of Signs. So legitimately, like, belted out this scream. And usually, like, I feel like, from what I remember of theaters being, since we're in a pandemic and haven't been in one in, like, seven months, but especially during high school, when you're first, like, really watching these, like, horror scenes and films with, like, other people besides your parents, it's like everyone reacts. But no one really screams screams. There's, like, little ooh and ahs. But my friend screamed, like, a bloody murder scream that I'll never forget. And so I agree. Like, this horror suspense, like, realness and rawness is super true. Like, I don't think me personally, in my own home, I ever bloody murder screamed. But I definitely, like, had moments that I would in a movie theater or I would by myself or with others like react in a way that like I don't care if anyone hears me like this is how I'm truly feeling there are moments of ooh and ah and that jolt moment in a horror film that like you're never ready for and you love and adore and makes you realize that like what I'm watching is affecting me in ways that are like different than just I'm gonna have a nightmare or I'm gonna think about this tomorrow it's like when you're jolted you are feeling, and I think I felt a lot during The Haunting of Hill House. So thank you for mentioning that, Rye, as one of your highlights. You're welcome. Well, when we come back... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm. There's We're a in a haunting, haunting of our own! Yeah. <laughs> uh, excuse that siren, but when we come back, we're going to be addressing your pressing Instagram fan questions. We're going to be taking a quiz to find out which sibling we are. And we are also going to hear Gina ramble on about the something and facts of things that I couldn't care less about. (laughs) But I do, because people need to know. I listen to this shit. I usually take my break during her (laughs) segment, and when I listen back to it, I'm like, oh. Yeah, see? Oh. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So go bend your neck and drink up before our next segment. Enjoy this commercial segment. Summer is here. That means, amongst other things, it's swimwear season. Don't worry about those quarantine 15. 
The beach is going to get the body you give it, and with social distancing, you'll look flattering at any angle with Bright Swimwear. Bright Swimwear is a Swedish swimwear brand dreamt up by Stockholm native Maria Johansson. Maria started Bright Swimwear with a clear vision in mind to transcend trends and instead design future vintage pieces that would be loved for seasons to come. We have partnered with Bright Swimwear for an exclusive deal to give you 15% off using our special promo code at their website, brightswimwear.com. Just use the promo code TVBS15 at checkout for your exclusive 15% off. They have absolutely fantastic styles for any aesthetic or body shape. I personally love their Cora One Piece in Peach. I personally love the Katie One Piece in Leopard. I love that one too. That promo code again is TVBS15, and they can be found on Instagram at Bright Swimwear, so you can follow them and click their link in the bio to get shopping. Remember to tag all of us in your swimwear purchase so we can all be hashtag better with bright. Hello, everyone. It's Gina here, and this is like one of my favorite parts of our podcast because. I am always on my Instagram to a fault, I will admit, but we get fan questions from time to time when we try and post on our stories, you know, what are you guys feeling about what we're about to talk about? And I think we had like a slew of questions for Haunting of Hill House because I do admit not everyone is a horror fan. So people are very mixed um, in their questions and like, you know, if they want to watch and if they don't want to watch. A lot of the questions that we got were like, is it too scary for me? Bitch, I don't fucking know. Exactly, yeah. So these are just two, and if there's any more, I like, ask away that you see. Um, The first Instagram fan question, or TVB question, is what's the horror level of this show? There was never an out of ten or out of five or out of three or... Anything well, out like of that. 10, what would you rate it? I would definitely give it, um, and like I said, I am a horror fan. I feel like I'm a very good judgment of what is scary and what is not, what is stupid, what is fake, what is unrealistic. I would honestly give Hill House, and after a couple bent neck lady drinks, oh. <laughs> I'm... I would say, I'm going to give it a 7.5. Okay. And while that may sound like low, I... No, that's a, that's a good score. I feel like anything over a 6 for anything horror-related is pretty damn high. Because shit is whack that is coming out. Or it used to come out back in the day pre-COVID. You know, like, I mean... There's nothing that I would deem scary, like I mentioned six cents earlier, but I think uh, seven, whatever I said, is a pretty decent score. Okay. So, off the cuff, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think that this is a fucking scary show. However, I love gore, as I said before. A 10 out of 10 for horror would be the hostel when they cut the Achilles tendon mm-hmm. with a uh, rose pruner. Yes. And wow. I'd say a one for me is like 
the Wicked Witch of the West showing up on the roof of the house after they found the Tins Woodman. Okay. A two would be when the lion face of the Wizard of Oz first came up to that, but that is a whole different story. I am way past that. (laughs) That's Um, a direct DM question. (laughs) Honestly, I would give this about an eight because the things that terrify me the most are the things that stick with you, not only in your day-to-day actions, but also when you have a dream and you think that your one-bedroom apartment is haunted. Mm Mm-hmm. You think the worst when you wake up. You wake up and you scroll for a minute. I might send Gina a few memes, see if she's up or not. If she doesn't say ha 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 within the next hour, (laughs) I'm going to get out of bed and cautiously (laughs) walk to the kitchen. And, you know, it's one of those... This show stick to me because... When I watched The Exorcist oh my TV God. series. Oh, TV, okay. I literally thought I was possessed last year. <laughs> I got Same. those. Rosemary's things. Baby? I had it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I gave birth to Rosemary's Baby. It was a facade. I was her. <laughs> um, this is one of those series that really stick to my bones. Could it have been more graphic? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If it had been more gory, I would have given it a nine. The thing that prevents me from giving it a perfect score, even with potential gore worked into that score, I just wish that the first episode wasn't so confusing. Mm-hmm. But also, in hindsight, doesn't that also make you think like, the first episode did what the house does to you when you first enter the mind house. Fucked? It just mind fucks you. Yeah. I also think it separates the real ones from the non. Like, All right. I give it an eight and a half out of ten. <laughs> I feel like in that first episode, it's like, okay, like, are you part of this journey or not? And... I think those are two very fair assessments and very fair ratings. So thank you so much for question number one that I chose. And Ryan, I'm going to ask you these questions um, for my second part of IG fan questions. I'm ready. I feel like you chose this show for a reason, and I actually don't know the answers. So... It's a two-part question. Okay. Is this the last we see of Hill House? And part two of the question, anything in the future? Because I'm not a showrunner, I can't say that this is the last that we've seen of the Hill House. I believe that if we do see an iteration of Hill House again, it will definitely include Nell... Hugh and Olivia. I'm not sure who else would come back for that, but as for a definite future, to answer the second part of this question, uh, no, we're not going to be seeing Hill House anytime soon, but we're going to be seeing the haunting of something very soon. Ooh, which is this episode tell. is actually going to be out before this airs. 
but uh, on the 9th of October, 2020. So, uh, this week. We're going to see The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is another modern adaptation of a book similar to what they did with Shirley Jackson's The Haunting Mm. of Hill House. And it's going to be, uh, it was written in the 1890s, and it's called The Turn of the Shrew, I believe, and it is a adaptation of that novella or short story. And it is going to feature new characters, but we're going to be able to see some of the same actors. Ooh. We're going to see who played uh, Luke, Theo, hey, and the younger <laughs> version of younger version of Hugh. Okay. And I'm really excited to watch it because being Ooh, so new back. to the haunting series on Netflix. Yes. I am very excited to just go right from one season to another and I'm sure that you're so fucking excited. Okay, I'm having a flashback to the haunting movie. Catherine Zeta-Jones was in it. Catherine Zeta-Jones! That's who I meant, not Nicole Kidman. No, because I remember you said that earlier and I'm like, wait, hold on. No, it was Catherine. You're right. Um, I'm trying to, I'll think of the other actors or maybe we'll like google it later because you know i like to fact find but mm-hmm. i was having a like oh my gosh wait no was it her or was it well katherine say that hello <laughs> <laughs> and for anything in the future tune in this friday to the haunting of blight yay Manor we have Netflix. to do it you guys we're gonna report back and maybe you'll see it on a future pod yeah uh one of the next segments that I love is, you know, we're buzzing, so we always like to see a BuzzFeed quiz that pertains to the show that we're covering. So... Holla BuzzFeed if yeah. you're listening. Yeah, we love you. I, I love you. I literally watch uh, watch all of your stories and your uh, articles on BuzzFeed.com every single day. All right, so today we're going to be doing a quiz that is going to tell us which sibling of The Haunting of Hill House are you. And we have to choose between uh, Steve, Cheryl, Theo, Nell, and Luke. Okay. Pick a horror film for family movie night. The options are It Follows... The Babadook, A Quiet Place, The Shining, or The Sixth Sense? Oh, well, obviously I already discussed this earlier. The Sixth Sense is top five of all-time movies for me overall in life. I'm going to choose A Quiet Place because it actually terrifies me to be quiet for so long. Okay. Uh, Next question. Oh, have you seen A Quiet Place 2? No. Is it out already? It's not out that I've seen, like, on Amazon Prime or anything, but I have not seen it. Quiet Place, I have seen. So, update us, fans, on IG if um, Quiet Place 2 is out. Please. Uh, Question two. If you could have a supernatural power, what would it be? The options are... The power to read other people's memories. The power to see the future. The power to make yourself invisible. The power to track and communicate with people from afar. The power to stop all time. Mm, I would love to stop all time. 
I'm going to say to track and communicate with people from afar. All right. A favorite Halloween candy, you have Kit Kats, Blow Pops, Sour Patch Kids, Peanut Butter Cups, or Snickers. I definitely got to choose them little sour but sweet Oh my gosh. I am so the opposite. I am chocolate all the way. Reese's, let's go. Do you like the ones from Trader Joe's? Like the mini... Oh, yes. Those are delish. So the many little, like, pop in your mm-hmm. mouth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be races. Peanut butter cup, my way. Keto friendly, cool. But the real thing, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you most afraid of? Not achieving your dreams, not having control, intimacy, not being taken seriously, seriously, losing your loved ones. Um, Ovs losing my loved ones. Uh, not being taken seriously. Okay. I mean, these are all, like, genuine answers. Yeah. What would you do if someone told you they saw a ghost? You'd convince them to move far, far away. You'd question (laughs) their mental health. You'd help them confront and banish the ghost. You'd use it as an opportunity to talk about a bigger concern you have about the person. Or... You'd believe that they saw something very strange, but not necessarily a ghost. I think I would say... I'm going to say you'd help them confront and banish the ghost, because no one has ever really told me a true ghost story. And I feel like the moment they do, I'm going to want to, like, confront it head on. Let's go again. I was going to say something else, but after your explanation, I'm going to use the same exact answer. <laughs> like, I mean, if someone literally was like, Ryan, Gina, and all I was of- going to say you'd convince them to move mm. away, but I was like, you know what? I want to hear this shit from her. <laughs> yeah. Before you move away, let me hear about what's good good on this ghost. Oh my God. <laughs> if you were a ghost, exactly what would you do? Ooh, watch people, possess people, prank people, help people, warn people. Can we answer this for each other? Well, I was, okay. I'm going to say for you, possess people. It's either possess or prank for me. Yeah. Okay, which one do you closely associate with? Uh. Prank? No, wait, no, I'll choose the one that you, yeah. Uh, do I possess or prank people more? I truly think you would possess people. Okay. I think that you would... I think you would warn people. Ooh, okay. Like, don't cross the sidewalk. (laughs) Don't go outside to get that burrito. (laughs) Don't get on the Amtrak. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, you warn people. Okay. (gasps) Baby daddy! Who are you? Okay, so I got Luke. You've got the biggest heart, which means that you experience love and loss, and many others will never understand. In many ways, others will never understand. It's a gift and a curse. I kind of, like, truly believe that in a way. So I'm your twin. I'm Nellie. Oh, my God, right? I'm going to (laughs) cry. You're a hard person to read, but that's your best quality. TBH. You might feel misunderstood more times than not, but don't let that stop you from sharing what you're going through with your trusted friends and family members. I am going to cry. This is, like, unprovoked, unrehearsed. 
Unwritten. We are the TVBs coming <laughs> out your neck. <laughs> Cheers. We're Luke and Nell coming at you hot. Jesus Christ. Um, if you want to tell us anything else, one of my favorite segments, because I get to take a long, long break. Ryan gets to go number two. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Gina's going to tell us something slash facts. Of course. Ryan's most hated <laughs> segment. Anyways, um, thank you, Mental Floss, at Mental Floss. 11 chilling facts about Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. I'm going to go through these really fast. Um... Because I think probably mostly all I probably have not heard of or heard about. Number one, it was inspired by real-life paranormal investigators. My God. I think I, like, already knew that. Number two, Jackson had a terrifying sleepwalking experience while writing the novel. I feel like that is normal. Like, if you're writing things that are keeping you up at night... Wouldn't you stay up at night? And you'd probably be writing about those things. I think the best things that are written are in the middle of the night or at, like, ungodly hours. Like, mm-hmm. either, like, crazy morning hours or, I don't know, random, like, 10.52. Do you ever wake up and realize that your best moment escaped you as soon as you waked up? Yes. And if you don't write it down or if you wake up to go to the bathroom to come back to think that you're going to curl back up with that moment... You're going to curl up thinking about what that moment was. Exactly. But you can never reach it again. No. Number three. Oh, so Miss Jackson, Miss Shirley Jackson, the writer of The Haunting on Hill House, made an unsettling discovery while researching haunted houses. Mm -hmm. Let me see what it is. Before she began writing The Haunting of Hill House, Jackson scored magazines and newspapers for photos of houses that seem haunted. That's great. During her research, she stumbled upon a photo of a house in California that had a particular air of decease and decay. She was so struck by it, she asked her mother, who lived in California, if she could find any additional information about the house. Her mother's response shocked Jackson. Not only was she was she familiar with the house, but Jackson's own great-grandfather had built it. After standing empty for many years, the house had been set on fire, possibly by a group of townspeople. That's very spooky. And obviously, if you're writing about horror, horror somehow follows you, I think. Or horror is somehow a part of your life. Or being a whore, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) There was originally more than one version of Eleanor. So I'm guessing Eleanor was maybe... Olivia? Uh, Nell. Nell, yes. Okay. It It's a ghost story without ghosts. Mm, I feel like the haunting of Hill House, I guess that's like, there were, weren't ghosts haunting them, but they but like a were lot images. Of, and yeah, were, a lot of people think like ghosts and spirits are the same thing, but like a ghost story without ghosts might just be like a ghost story without ghosts, but they're spirits. Ooh, so I guess ja- Shirley Jackson, the author, said the house is the haunting. Um, well, that makes sense. It digests you. It's the manifest... Of Eleanor or Nell's troubled psyche. 
The novel yeah. makes it clear that something in the house brings out the disturbance in Nell. So I don't agree with that 100%. <laughs> but thank you so much. Um, number six, Jackson's husband was too afraid to, too afraid to read it. I mean, this show, like we said, is not for everyone. 7.5, 8, 8.5. 8. Like, it's going to be pretty frightening. And if you're a fan of horror, good for you. If you're not, then maybe this isn't the best first step into, like, your horror discovery. Maybe you should start with Scary Movie 2. Right, right. <laughs> so you can have some laughs as well. The novel has earned comparisons to Turn of the Screw. Have you heard of Turn of the Screw? Yeah, I just talked about it because that's what season two of The Haunting is going to be about. Okay, so... Uh, the two... <laughs> the two novels, so The Turn of the Screw and The Haunting of Hill House, they both share common things, including a lonely, imaginative young woman. Olivia. A big, isolated house. Hill House. And um, Stephen King apparently writes... Great. It seems to me that The Haunting of Hill House and James's The Turn of the Screw are the only two great novels of the supernatural in the last 100 years. Oh, shit. So, can't wait for this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> it was Jackson's first profitable novel, which, I mean, Go sounds girl. great. Um, she sold the film rights for 67500 and used the money to buy a washing machine. What? That for that much? You got ripped off, Oh, girl. my God. They used the money from the film to pay off their mortgage and all their debts and to buy living room drapes, a piano, and a washing machine and dryer. Okay. That's so all there was got. much more to that story, but for 67K. That's not, that's not. Direct. You could literally go to the Goodwill and find a dryer or the recycling center. I could have put on a next door list. <laughs> um. Oh my God, Mr. Doll sent Jackson a letter after reading it. Not Mr. Doll. Okay, let me read a little bit more into this. So, legendary children's author, I've always said Ronald Doll. It's Roald Doll. Doll was so struck by the haunting of Hill House. He wrote to Jackson suggesting she write for television. Huh. It's unclear whether he himself was working on the show. That two years after the loan. Okay, so that was had nothing really to do with this. But Jackson ultimately refused his request. Huh. So she was a little badass bee. And then lastly, the, no the novel has a lot of famous fans. So let me read through these and see if there's anyone really famous. Obviously, Stephen King is the first. Check. So, uh, um, let's see. Guillermo del Toro. Maria Machado mm -hmm. called this show the scary or this novel the scariest novel I've ever read. Neil Gaiman has written that while plenty of novels have scared him, Hill House beats them all. But Stephen King. Let's just end there. Meanwhile, has written The Hill House, has one of the best openings he's ever read, calling it the sort of quiet epiphany every writer hopes for. Quiet epiphany. So, Ryan, what does a quiet epiphany mean to you about Hill House? When you listen to something 
and you realize that it's everlastingly known, but it takes the writer's perspective to actually take you to that place, and you don't realize that you're at that destination until you're already there. I feel like quiet epiphany to me means, like, it's a silent killer. Mm-hmm. Like, the bent neck lady was a silent killer. True. To little Nell. Like, and it wasn't silent until it was so loud in her brain and her mind and in real life that she, like, had to drive back to the house and risk, well, I don't know if she truly knew she was risking her own life, which I think she did. But um, I think at the end it was so loud it wasn't silent anymore. Yeah. So, snaps to you, Stephen King. And those are really all my 11 chilling facts. But as Ryan mentioned earlier, there are Easter eggs, there are ghosts, there are ghouls, goblins, all the three Gs in um, the show, The Haunting of Hill House. So... I suggest you to rewatch, or if you haven't watched, watched and pay attention to any scenes that maybe show a background of certain areas of the house or just like screenshots and uh, see if you can find your own Easter eggs. Hey guys, it's Ryan from the TV Bees, and I'm here to wish you a happy Pride Month. We're going to stay fresh and beautiful and proud all month with the help of Avon, the number one beauty company in the United States. All month long until June 23rd, I'd like to offer a little bit of charity to you all with any purchase that you make through me on youravon.com backslash R-M-A-H-R-T. Any purchase that you make, I will match the commissions that I've made off of that sale and donate it to Black Lives Matter as well as the Human Rights Campaign for LGBTQ Rights. Please consider making a purchase, not only for yourself, but to help others in need. Thank you so much. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride is right. And thank you so much, Rye, for providing all of the ad Easter eggs throughout this entire podcast. Anywho, um, I guess we're just basically left with what are our final thoughts of The Haunting of Hill House. I mean, I'm pretty sure we already made this clear, but, I mean, is there anything maybe we didn't discuss, Rocky, or that, like, you're kind of, like, lingering with? You know, honestly, I feel like we gave enough little, like, inklings to the story. If you guys are interested in watching it, Go ahead and watch it. If you guys have already watched you have it our permission. <laughs> and want to see us, uh, see our opinions when you rewatch it, go ahead and just rewatch it. Um, my final thoughts are basically the same. Like, watch it if you're ready and willing to succumb to a great thrill factor show. Mm-hmm. Um, stay in tune if you do watch it to the second anthology series to this. If not, don't. I mean, it's it's really up to you. But because we're in 
October, I highly suggest that you succumb to something that's going to make you jolt, like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And this will give you all of the thrill factors, all of the jolt, but depending on your own thrill factor, it's pretty damn scary. Yeah. So, go on. And if you do, let us know. Uh, if you want other things to watch based on the fact that you love this so much, what my recommendation is, is you need to watch the Nicole Kidman, uh, supernatural thriller the others ah nicole kidman and if you love a haunted house story as much as you loved the haunting of hill house you're going to love the others because it also provides quite a punch among the supernatural does it feel though like maybe this is my own opinion but being stuck in a house with Nicole Kidman would feel like a haunting of Hill House. It might, but I also might feel like she would be able to introduce me to, like, fairies and what... Yes, she, yes, she's the next, other... The next uh, level, yeah, the next... Yeah, you're no, right. the next... You know what? what would it be called? Dimension. Dimension. Yes. <laughs> um, she's able to transcend. I really think she is, and she never ages, so that's something to talk about. That could be another podcast. <laughs> could she be the bent neck lady in a future? Possibly. Uh, cheers. I just really neck? wanted to cheers. Um, so my supplemental information is take a tour if you're in the Bay Area or in California and planning a trip anytime soon to get away during this pandemic. Take a tour of the Winchester Mystery House. Ryan and I may have talked about this on a previous podcast, but... If you don't listen to us all the time or just want to know, Ryan and I actually went to the Winchester Mystery House, which ironically was just a like movie not too long ago. And it didn't Yeah, like within it, the past It didn't do years. very well, no. but um it was a movie and it's in Sacramento or San Jose. I kind of forgot. San Jose. San Jose. So Ryan and I were unemployed at the time and just doing like fun employment. And we went shopping. We were living the lavish lifestyle of the unemployed. Um, And we wanted to visit the Winchester Mystery House because it is a fascinating story. You're not going to get into it on the podcast, but possibly in a future pod. Um, But basically, this house was built by a woman who, did she lose her mind? Or was she just insanely architecturally prone to genius like we don't know um but by taking a tour of this house it is said to be the first um she was a bit out there a bit um what would you say she was eccentric yes eccentric in many ways through and through but ryan and i like had this amazing like tour and experience i would say to where it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to go view this house. Like, Ryan and I would try to sneak away from, like, basically our entire tour. And we would try I'm not like, entirely sure if I'm banned from there. Yeah, possibly. Um, but our tour guide, we were trying to, like, get into, like, a closet or, like, some sort of space that was locked. It was like a stairway. That's the exact moment mm-hmm. that they told me not to come back. 
And so the tour guy like was just super angry, but at the same time it was like kind of intriguing because it was like, how many more things can we do with this tour guide knowing and with like basically everyone that's watching us he knowing. Saw, he didn't see a lot of shit that we did. But it's like, why are you so angry? Like, what are you hiding in these like rooms that are like locked up and taped and like abandoned? Do you think we shouldn't have been there for a reason? Do you think that's why we're so fucked up? Probably. So something's mm. probably lurking within us. Um, but Winchester Mystery House, if you've never heard of it, look it up. If you're in California or traveling to California and want something spooky to experience Halloween, typically, I'm not sure with COVID restrictions, but typically it's a fun time to do like these um, flashlight tours like they do with um, Alcatraz in San Francisco. So that could be something fun to do with your loved one, family, or fucking by yourself. (laughs) Who cares? I mean, now, Ryan, we're in the perfect place. To our King B and Queen B ratings mm. of the Haunting of Hill House. Should we do like a drum roll? Sure. Okay. Sure. B plus. Uh, B plus. Oh, if I were to say B minus, and I was like, what? No, B plus. It's an absolute B plus. Uh. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I could watch it for the third time and still see things that I might not have recognized on the first or second viewing. I really think that this show is it's really timeless in a sense because no matter what, it gets down to your instinctual fears. Uh in terms of my queen bee and my queen uh, bee, I think that the king bee would for sure have to be Luke. I feel like he was the... If there was a cobweb, he would be the furthest away from the core of it, but he would have the strongest fibers. He's so sexy to me that obviously he is a king bee, but Queen Bee, um, I think I already mentioned earlier, of, like, my little Theo. My Queen Bee is definitely Liv. Okay. But they're one and the same, in a sense. I, Who would be your King Bee? I think Luke, for sure. Okay. Um, because the only other really male, male figure besides the dad is, well, Steve. Steve. Or Steven. And fuck that. Um, quite honestly, like, I think he has great attributes, but you can never go against the grain in my eyes if you're in a family of siblings that have went through something that is, or cannot be explained by other people except for the people that have experienced it. So, fuck you, Steven, for that one. But Luke is just, like, sexy. He, like, he is troubled. He's... An addict. He has made like so much progression, but also I think we didn't get too fully into Luke. But like when he went to the house at the very end, mm-hmm. like and everyone came to like help slash like they needed to because of the storyline. <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners the scene of the story? I just so in my like remembrance of Luke and like one of the final scenes, if not the final scene, like 
Luke is going back to the house because either he... He wants to get rid of it. He knew, like, Nell had passed away, but he wanted to find out, like... And also, like, why Nell went to the house. Like, she was sacrificing herself. Luke was sacrificing himself. He's like, Nell, like, did this, went through with this, and she's now part of this house. And Luke, I really think he, like, basically went into the Red Room, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think he went through the whole song and dance that Nell did in the Red Room, slash when she went back in, had the whole, like, you know, like, greetings from all of her, like, past family slash lovers. Yeah. So, basically, the mom and her husband. But I think um, Luke was almost there. He basically, like, almost died, slash died until, like, he was saved. Yeah. By the siblings. Because I feel like that... Olivia was pulling him into the poison and, like, Nell was, like, To make him live. Yeah. To make him live. Yeah. Which was the opposite of actually, like, reality living. Um, And so maybe that's why, like, hopefully we'll see, like you said, in the, like, sequel or the next part of the series, he's a part of it. But anyways, he's sexy as hell, and I'm so happy he lived. Um, I'm really sad that, like, Nell was, like, would it be the protagonist? Or what would she, she have played? Be, the, she, like, the integral... I feel like uh, Nell is, like, a... Or she's just, like, a common theme. Like, I don't know. I feel like she's one of the most innocent, but almost the most sinister. Mm-hmm. I feel like Poppy is the most sinister. I feel like uh, So the Steve dad versus the living. Neutral. I feel like uh, the dad, he's a chaotic neutral. He's been through some shit. And I feel like the the mom is just psychotic. But I love her so. She's so beautiful. Oh, Carla. Can't get enough. Carla in the role of her is phenomenal. I don't want her to be my mom, but I also want her to be like my sister. Yeah. (laughs) Anywho, while a B plus, we've said our king and queen bees. What's next? Next up is your show, Little Fires Everywhere. I have been wanting Ryan to watch the show for so long. And I think, listeners, he's finally going to do it. Mm-hmm. So my challenge to Ryan is to please watch Hulu's original Little Fires Everywhere. It is, to me, like Big Little Lies. Reese Witherspoon is a goddess. And I think, I think we'll have a joy talking about it next pod after our buzz. See you soon, and break your neck. Or don't break your neck, Buster Rhymes. <laughs> As you listen to our next episode of The Haunting of Hill House. See you soon, soul searchers. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye, booze. <laughs>